welcome to episode 41 of Slaytanic Vercast. I'm Mo from France and to my west, broadcasting live from, well, actually, I don't know where because for once he hasn't told me. It's Dr. Lequescence. You're still blissing out on the herb, Doc. What's going on? Um, I decided it's possible to have too much of a good thing. Um, and particularly since, as you inferred, I sort of came round some time ago. Because um, time's time, you know. Yeah. It ceases to have any meaning after a while. Um, get, out, get over this nonsense. Come on, Doc. Um, I came round some time ago um, without the slightest idea of, of, of where I was or where I'd been or how I got here. Um, except I woke up in the oddest of conditions in a human body. Ah, oh my God, right. Mm-hmm. Um, how long this will last for, um, I have no idea. I mean, uh, as you know, I've, I've tried it on numerous occasions before, but it, it lasts between hours and weeks before the, the, the protuberances start to emerge. Um, and then obviously the, 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 the flesh starts to dissolve and um, the organs that were once internal become external and um, it, it, it all gets very messy. So, I mean, I, I, I have no expectations, but it's, it's, it, it's an interesting experience. Um, how do you feel? You know, how does it feel to be like in a, in a, in a fully organic, you know, natural form for once? Um, damp. I mean, as you can imagine, when, when, when I'm in my natural state, I'm, I'm not really aware of climatic conditions, particularly if it's raining. But I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that I'm moist because it's raining and I should be dry. Um, before I actually sort of present myself to, to other human beings, um, my biggest problem is not the, the, the usual abhorrent state of my physiognomy, but the fact that I'm not wearing any clothes. Well, of course, yeah, of course. And uh, do you think it was your, um, you know, your, your consumption of, huge quantities of cannabis that, that, that has brought about this transformation or what? Well, it's a possibility, isn't it? You know, it, it's, it's, it's not something I've ever tried before. Um, I've tried numerous different kinds of uh, medication and, 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 and drugs uh, in an attempt to, to control the, the, the growth of limbs and organs and eyes um, and genitals from, from, from my, my, my repellent corpus. Um, but um, oddly enough, the the simplest and most homely, uh, and the one that's probably easiest to obtain, is the one I'd never even thought of before. Well, there we go, Doc. There we go, and it, and it, it might just end up, end up leading you to be one chilled out motherfucker at the same time. How about that? Yeah, one chilled out motherfucker of a Lovecraftian entity. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> Who, who'd have thought it's possible? Um, no corrections for us this week, Doc, because we're doing such a such, such sterling work as usual. Um, Topic time, I reckon. Give me a number, Doc, between one and four. Three, please. Number three. Okay, okay. Um, albums that you hated when you first heard them that you now love and vice versa. If we can get two or three of those, Doc, I'd be delighted. Definitely. Um it, it's 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 much easier uh to start with the second one. Um yeah. albums that I loved. Um, so probably Earwig by Blake Babies was one of my favorite albums for um, a good few years. And I put it down for a little while, um, listened to it, enjoyed it. And probably about 10 or 12 years ago, I listened to it for the first time in ages. And thus, I don't know what about me had changed. 
clearly nothing about the the, the recording had changed. No. Um, but instead of being sweet and naive and charming, I found it unutterably smug and self-satisfied. Mm-hmm. Um, I made it through nearly to the end, but I, I, I literally couldn't go beyond about track two of side two. Can, can you give um, me some inkling as to the, as to the genre here? Because I've never heard of it, I must be honest. Um, it, it's um, Boston area cutie pop or indie pop. You know, it, it, it's it's a genre that, um, as you know, I'm predisposed to have a great deal of sympathy for um, and a great deal of fondness for. Um, and it's not like I was naively coming to it, not knowing what to expect. I, I, I must have listened to the record appro- approaching 100 times previously. And I, I don't know what it was because nothing else in that particular genre um, has shifted in my perception so very very badly um it's just literally that one thing and and it, it, it's like no i actually can't tolerate listening to this anymore well, isn't it curious isn't it so so strange and, and, and i take it you've not gone back well i don't see the point i mean you know there's there's plenty of time in the world um it's not like um modern popular culture is keeping me busy all of the time with its constant outgrowths of new ideas so um, I can see the forthcoming years being me doing a lot of recycling over stuff that I have not taken the trouble to get into properly and fairly neglected. That's certainly the, 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 the case for me. I, I do feel like I'm kind of in a holding pattern of repetition and recycling and finding it increasingly difficult to be inspired or enthused by anything new. It's, it, 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 it's a worrying state of affairs, Doc, for me, but it is what it is. I can't, I can't do anything about it. We'll get onto this um, a little bit later on because I mean I, I've 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 got a few philosophical murmurings on on, on that very subject to sort of make about it. Sure. Um, do you want to go next, or shall I talk about an album that um, I didn't like when I first heard, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Well, I'll match you. So I'll, I'll go for one that I really liked when I first heard it and and, and cannot abide these days, and that would be um, "Vulgar Display of Power" by Pantera. <laughs> Um, I think when I heard this, it absolutely blew my socks off. Um, you know, it was—it it seemed so intense, so in your face, um, you know, so heavy. The guitar just seemed so, so, so heavy um, that I absolutely loved it. But and I, I heard this again, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago. 
I found it absolutely unlistenable, actually. Um, just so kind of pumped up and macho and, 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 and stock full of fucking red meat and, and semen. Um, it, it really, really, it really made me, really made me cross, you know. Um, it just, it smacked like the music to me that a bunch of fucking bullies would like to, you know, would write and would like to listen to. That's the sense that, that's the impression that I got got from it. Now, whether that's because, you know, in the meantime, between first hearing it and now, you know, I've kind of got an impression of the, of, of, of the kind of people involved in the band. I mean, especially, especially you know, An- Anselmo doesn't seem like the nicest character. And maybe that's coloured, you know, c- coloured my impression a little bit. It's difficult for me to say, but I could not bear it. And it also has to be said, you know, he takes a huge chunk of responsibility for the, the ghastliness that would develop, you know, that we know and hate, which is, of course, new metal. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I can think of three strikes um, against the album going forward. Yeah. Um, the first one, I don't necessarily hold against it, which is I think certain artifacts of popular culture are destined and defined to exist only for a very, very short period of time, after which they become meaningless. And in fact, you, you've made the point in the past that by definition, that, that is what something, you know, as, as part of like pop culture's zeitgeist should, should do. It, it should be only relevant in that particular period of time indeed i mean yeah. if um at the risk of repeating myself if something makes perfect sense 15 years later mm-hmm. i will stick my neck out and say it was never truly part of popular culture in the first place yeah, yeah. got it um and secondly um when the album came out a lot of the production techniques were very new and hadn't been heard before mm-hmm. um it was a it was a guitar sound and particularly a bass sound in metal that I'd certainly never heard before. Mm. A production on the drums that I hadn't really heard before. Um, and, I, and once again, not particularly its fault. Um, I mean, the, the, the relentless redneck machismo um, is, um, you know, not easily forgivable um, then or now. Um, but I, I think the sound of it got ruined by, repeti- by, by repetition. Mm. And the problem was what it got ruined by wasn't inferior repetition. The repetition that ruined it was every bit as good as that record was, yeah. which in my opinion showed up just like once you'd got the trip, just how easy it was to pull off. Mm. Mm. The, the, the guitar sounds a big, a big problem for me as well. You know, it's, it's all middle. Um, and, you know, and I just think it sounds ghastly. Uh, the, the, these days, you know, um, just you know, put some bass on it for Christ's sake. Um, yeah, I, 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 I just don't like it. Um, let's go for a more positive one then, Doc. You know, the, 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 an album that you really did not like, but but you know, you've you've turned it around in your head, and, and now it's a firm favourite. What we got? Um, well, this is actually inspired by the, the of of the many that I could pick. This is inspired by last week's question of the week, um, and it's God Bluff by Van de Graaff Generator. Oh, 
individual fast. Oh yes, sir. Um, yeah. Did, did, did we talk so, about that on the podcast, or was that in our in our personal life, Doc? Um, last week you asked me the question about like what 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 is it about progressive rock that you've never really got, or, or what? How would I define progressive rock? Um, I took to the first three Vandergraaf Generator albums. Um, interested listeners, uh, Porn Hearts uh, from H to H E, which I'm the only one, um, and all we can do is to wave to each other. Uh, snappy titles, those chaps. I like the third one. That's rather cute. Yeah. Um, and then the, the the album they made, like after the the, the Reformation in 1974, is um, is called Godbluff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I struggled with that album for 20 years. Um, I don't mean consistently. I don't mean I, I, I spent every day trying to force myself through it. Um, but I, I, I'd revisit it, revisit it every year or two. Um, oh, um, I haven't tried that for ages. Uh, and unusually for me, it wasn't one of those albums that suddenly snapped into place. And, oh, I get it now. Because I've, I've got lots of those too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it literally grew on me and grew on me and grew on me until um, I suppose it's a bit like having a cellmate. <laughs> you you have to go through a barrier of intolerance where every single thing they do and every single part of what they look like gets on your nerves and you want to strangle them. And then little by little, you you gain tolerance and, and tolerance smooths out into... Um, admiration and smooths out into love and eventually into adoration um and eventually into prison smoochies sure, it, that, that sounds like my uh my my my, my 17 year relationship with with, with, with the with, with my with you know the the, the primary woman in my life it's very reminiscent <laughs> of the journey that was taken you know the very interesting but um shall i give you mine yes please the band creator which we're all very, very familiar with, I'm sure. And the album is Renewal. Um, <clears throat> now, this is the album that came after, you know, what for me is one of the, the greatest thrash albums of all time, which is Coma of Souls. So, you know, kind of in a way, it was almost on a hiding to nothing, really. Um, yeah. And then when it, when, it, when, when it came out, you know, I, I dashed down to our price, um, and bought the cassette, rushed back home, popped it in the machine, and and what what I was greeted with was some kind of like mid-paced, even slow, um, industrial infused um, Teutonic horror, as far as I was concerned.
I really, really hated it. Um, I think I gave it two or three shots. And, and re remember, Doc, this is back in the day when our prices returns policy was so loose, loosey goosey. You, you know, you, you, you could take you could take a cassette back after a week and they give you a full refund. Um, <laughs> I wonder why they went out of business. I can't. <laughs> so, you know, I, I kind of played it a couple of times over the weekend on the Monday. I took it back and, and, and exchanged it for I think if I remember correctly, it was a Paradise Lost album. What's the Paradise Lost album with When Mortals Watch the Day? What's, what's that? Shades of God. Shades of God. That's it. Um, yes. I, I exchanged it for that and was very, very pleased with, with my, with my uh, exchange because I love that album. Uh, but about a year later, uh, a good friend of mine, Psycho Psy, um, made me listen to Renewal again. And by Jove, wouldn't, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you just know it? It's absolutely sensational. I can't really explain what flipped in my brain in the meantime. Um, you know, it, it's, it's heavy as anything. It's experimental. It does have industrial overtones, but you know, nothing too nauseating. You know, we're not talking like ministry clone or anything like that here. Um, and yeah, it, just a really, really interest, interesting entry in creators. Exceptional back catalogue. So I, I was wrong. I was wrong. They was right. There we go. go. Um, as far as this thing of um, like your experience with that, it's happened to me a lot yeah. that an album makes no sense until I've pretty much tutored through it by someone who's, who's, who's already learned to love it. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's, that's happened to me very, very frequently. Mm -hmm. um, so um, out of albums that I didn't take to or bands that I wasn't disposed to be into, um, one of my perennial, one of my perennial life, well, many of my perennial lifelong favourites. Um, and off the top of my head, I can immediately think of "Blessed Are the Sick" by Morbid Angel. Ghost of Cain by New Model Army. Um, Psycho Candy by Jesus and Mary Jane. responsible for my appreciation of those you know without your guidance i would probably would never have have, have, have have kind of got my head around that particular that particular bunch of bradford maniacs well sort of be, being being a hipster mm. uh has its advantages and has its disadvantages as well and um there are many bands whose interview persona and 
frankly, who's image and general appearance and also whose fan base doesn't particularly do them any favours yeah, um, yeah. when, when, when it comes to convincing me. Because obviously, um, when any band forms and tries to get a live following, what they're really thinking about is, how can we get that guy? Yeah, sure. You talk about the appearance. I mean, New Model Army. They've got that. They've got that. I think it's the first track on Ghosts of Cain, actually. It's called The Hunt. You know, the, 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 for, you know, for, for, for anybody that doesn't know that that song, the, 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 the lyrics are a narrative. The narr narrative is that one of the band's brothers has become a desperate drug addict. I don't know if he's dead or not, but, but he's, he's certainly in a bad way. And, if, and basically the, the band go looking for the dealer that sold him the bad skag. Uh, and they're going to kick the living fuck out of this person. And it's one of the few bands where you listen to it and you think, actually, you know what? I fucking believe <laughs> you could do that. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, I mean, uh, um, Justin Sullivan missing his missing both of his front teeth and having a, a livid purple four-inch scar up his cheek doesn't particularly help. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they do look like a bunch of proper double-hard bastards, don't they? Yeah, and I mean... <laughs> um, <laughs> Not just double hard bastards, but um, of the Yorkshire variety, which yeah. makes it worse. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And anything else to say on that topic, Doc? Or should we get into the should we get into the track? No, I mean, it, as as usual with your fascinating topics, I I, I could actually run a line out about that probably for the next two hours. Because um, I mean, it's I'm going to finish up by saying um, hard love is the most endearing love. And I think probably most of my all-time favourite albums are ones that it took me a good long while to get my head around. Yeah, yeah. and I, th I think that's a, a consistent theme for any kind of true timeless album, I would argue. Um, yeah. All right, guys. Um, don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slaytanitvercast.gmail.com. Um, let's get on with the show. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. We're going to play the track and talk about it. Tonight's track is, of course, track four from South of Heaven, and the song title is Behind the Crooked Cross. Here we go. <laughs> about this uh, as an opening gambit duck it's this kind of mid-paced double strum chugged on the e-string mate it's just drums drums and more drums yeah. <laughs> um right three things to say about that comment about that um obviously for those who don't know I, I, I'm, I'm gonna have to ask you to explain um that reference because I, I i think you introduced i, I if I remember correctly, you cut the clipping out of the newspaper and carried, around, carried it around with you for a long time. <laughs> I think, if, if, if memory serves, it was an article in The Sun um, about some, um, some kind of noisy neighbour 
situation that, that had escalated beyond, you know, the, the normal arguments and had become like a proper violent feud. Um, and the reason that, that this had happened was because the, the noisy neighbour in question was was blasting out um, Sepultura's Chaos AD album, you know, from <laughs> at, at, at an ungodly volume, all, all, all hours of, of the day of day and night. And when they when they interview when the journalist interviewed the neighbour, um, you know what's the problem? Uh, their the their quote was, "It's just drums, drums, and more drums." Of course, standards. Fair enough. It, it, it is on the drums after all, and that bad boy does play a lot of drums. <laughs> he certainly does. Um, this, this is the album, remember, which contains the track, which I, I, I'm pretty sure you're involved in this. Um, my metal acquaintances and I, um, we used to refer to the, 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 the name of the track, not by its real name, but by the name Rag Blurg Rag. Well, that's the next album, Doc. That's the album, that's the following album, which is Roots. Yeah, oh, so it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, that's the title track. Obviously, the podcast called Roots, but we, they, they, everybody that we knew just used to refer to it as Rog, Rog, Rog. So there was a point to me being a bit facetious then. Uh-huh. People who don't really know Slayer, imagine that that's what Slayer sound like now, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That introduction. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just kind of almost like mindless, tuneless, you know, there's no melody going on. It's just, you know, just chugging on the E string and, 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 a, and a bunch of drums happening. Yeah, uh, a, a, a very simplistic rhythm, um, a guitar part so simplistic you could barely even call it a guitar part. Mm. Um, which leads me to a question I end up asking you very frequently. No matter how retardedly simplistic that actually sounds, yeah. is it easy to play? It, it's decept- it is deceptively difficult, and I'll tell you why. Um, if, you know, if, if you're kind of blitzing at full speed, double strumming the E string, that's pretty easy to do, but to actually control your speed and to play it at that tempo and, yeah. and not miss a single up or down stroke and just to hold that, that rhythm and just keep that control and that finesse, it, it, it is surprisingly tricky. It takes a bit of, it, I mean, it's well doable, but it takes a bit of practice and a bit of patience. So these days, after being on this project for a little while, I'm not remotely surprised 
um, yeah. to hear you say that. A question we must do at more length in one of these episodes is things that sound like they're difficult but aren't, and mm-hmm. things that sound um, dumber than a retarded ape but yeah. are actually incredibly difficult to play. Sure, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, that, that, that's harder the other way around, actually. I, I can't, I can't automatically think of anything that sounds, you know, dead difficult, but but is actually a piece of piss. Um, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd need to think about that. I bet you, um, I bet you, if you go to mid-period Iron Maiden, mm. um, I bet you there are things that sound mind-blowingly difficult mm. Mm. Um, and actually aren't. Uh, not because I think Adrian can't play. I don't think that yeah. for a second. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think people like that have, have, have got a way of playing more than writing the thing that, that, that makes it sound deceptively complicated. So I, I, I bet you we, we, we could turn up uh, a few examples from Mr. Smith. I mean, you, you've just mentioned Maiden, and instantly I can think of a couple now that you've said that. The Trooper is not very... He's not. It sounds kind of quite complex. It's not particularly hard to play. Also, the intro to Sea of Madness, um, which is that. Because it's because it's right up on on the high E string, I think automatically people think that must be difficult. But really, really, it's no different to playing that on on the thick E string. You know what I mean? Um, sure. It's the same technique. It, it it just sounds automatically sounds more impressive because it's higher up on the guitar for some reason. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, now I bet you, um, if we got down to discussing it carefully. I bet you Down on Whores by Benediction both uh-huh. sounds retardedly simple and is retardedly simple. benediction bashing doc i don't know i don't know what it is i don't know what your problem is <laughs> um when the band's own drummer joins in with your mockery of them then yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough fair enough Let, let's press on with, with, with tonight's track doc here we go <laughs> Yeah. 
mean, that's obviously that's the main verse uh, component of the track. I've got to tell you, Doc, I don't really like that. Um, I th- I've, and there's a couple of reasons why I don't like it. I think, firstly, we've, we've spoken already on this, uh, as we've been talking about the, the three previous tracks on this album, about Tom's, you know, attempts at proper singing. He's obviously doing it here too. But I think, unlike the first three tracks, here, it, I, I think it does not work. It sounds really whiny to me, and I don't like it. Um. I've got a bit of a theory about why you don't like it and why I don't like it either. And I've got a theory about what Tom is trying to do here yeah. and why I wish he wouldn't. Okay. So Tom's singing on this album so far has been squarely rooted in the roots of heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what he's trying to do, and if you, listen, if, if you take away the slayerness of it, um, if you imagine this with a completely different production, what you've got here is almost unreconstructed 50s rock and roll. I can imagine that tune, that riff, I can imagine that being like a Bill Haley track or like almost like an Elvis track. Wow, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I can understand why people want to, we just mentioned Sepultura, I can understand why people want to explore their roots. Yeah. Um, and it's a strange thing that um, American metal um, shows a marked reluctance at exploring the roots of American rock and roll. And actually, I think we lo- I think we know why, because it never works out well. Are you saying this is like some kind of race racial component? You know, because the roots are kind of based in um, like African American. Um, origin and obviously obviously you know you go back further kind of into the slave trade is that the reason you think they're scared of, of touching it or what i don't know just for once i'm going to try and keep the um you keep that thought yeah. we'll come back to it but i at least am going to try and keep the racial politics and the class politics out of it yeah. um american the u.s being a relatively young country very interested in what the correct and authentic roots of things are. Um, and I think that Americans have, um, and I, I'm, I'm quite touched by this. It makes me blush a bit. I think they look to the UK as the birthplace and the origin of heavy metal. And like that, and, and that's, um, that's your crossing of the Rubicon. That's your creation myth. That's, yeah, that's, well, that's, when, that's where metal comes from. Yeah, I think you're dead right about it. I don't think that's just Americans, actually. You know, I've, I've seen more than one um, well, Scandinavian metal band, you know, and when, you know, I've seen them live in Birmingham, for example, or Nottingham, and they reference the fact, you know, this is the home of metal. That's why we love playing here. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes me makes me feel a bit warm inside. You know, you know you're dead right. I think, I think I've railed against... Um, like, I, British people's apparent ignorance of this on occasion. I don't know if I've done it on the podcast or not, but certainly, you know, you know, the, we, we, we live not far from Tipton, for example, and that's where fucking Judas Priest come from. And I don't think anybody from Tipton's even aware of it, and it makes me furious. <laughs> I mean, what, why, why isn't there a statue of oh, K.K. No. Downing and Glenn Tipton yeah, in sure. Tipton? Yeah, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you like original 50s rock and roll. Um, I happen to not like original 50s rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a product of a culture 
um, no part of which appeals to me. Muscle cars don't appeal to me. Um, hair pomade doesn't appeal to me. Um, jukeboxes and Coca-Cola don't. Have, I, I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing about 50s Americana um, no. that I like that, that that I like very much. I'm the same, actually, Doc. And you, you, you know, like mo- movies set in that era just just do nothing for me at all. Um, no, and it's the strangest thing because you get a few years on from there. Um, you get, um, and probably 50 out of 100 of my favorite movies ever are from the US from the 1970s or from at least 1968 onwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, industrial design and military tech from the 50s and 60s, um, the US was the best in the world. And mm-hmm. it's, it's still all inspiring to look at now. So, I mean, that's, but that's mainstream American culture. Um, American popular culture from the 1950s very possibly because, hey, here's an idea. Um, a place where I didn't grow up generated a pop culture that doesn't really speak to me. How about that for a radical yeah. suggestion? Yeah, well, how about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it? Wasn't it aimed at you, Doc? <laughs> no. Um, I mean, it, 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 it wasn't for me, and therefore doing this duty as popular culture, um, I, shouldn't be, I, I, I shouldn't take anything from it. So um, basically anything that sets out to go back to the roots of American rock and roll, um, is just not going to appeal to me at all. I don't think anyone nowadays goes back to the roots of original American rock and roll to make any statement about class politics or racial politics. <clears throat> um, I just think it's a kind of music that a certain kind of person is nostalgic for. Um, and obviously, as with all forms of music, keeps on picking up new fans. I mean... Um, Aren't there some terrifying statistics that Elvis has sold more albums since the year 2000 than he did before the year 2000 or something like that? Yes, and, and the, you know the Beatles are another one, aren't they? They just seem to just seem just seem to keep on trucking along, and you know the the, the next generation comes along and discovers them, and you know, and they just keep selling and selling and selling their fucking albums, don't they? These are remarkable. Yeah, um, and I mean the, the, there there are just certain things that, um, and I think. There are certain things that bend popular culture out of shape, so that they're so influential that they're practically like that meteorite in Mexico that caused the Permian extinction event. Uh, you know that they 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 hit the surface of the Earth, and the Earth is never the same after that. I heard somebody say something remarkable a few days ago. Um, they were talking about the fact that they hated the Beatles, and you know that's fair. I think that's a, a weird statement to make. You know, given the, the the diversity of their output, but you know, whatever. Um, but the reason they cited for why they hated it was was because you know they they just couldn't stand the um like the 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 the, the, the almost live feel of the production. Um, I, I thought it was a baffling thing to say, but anyway, that, that, that's a total tangent. No, I mean I, I what I dislike about the Beatles is that I along with everyone else on the planet, has, have, have never been given a choice about making up my mind about them. It's been decided for me that they're brilliant and everything that they t- and everything they touch turned to gold and they're untouchable and you can't possibly criticise them. And this is the thing, the, the thing that I find baffling. And then people feel the need to add the caveat that if it wasn't for the Beatles, you wouldn't have any of the stuff that you listen to now. And it's a peculiar, it, it's, it's a peculiar thing because I don't even think I don't even think the Beatles were all that influential. I think when they broke up in 1969, um, 
I don't think popular culture suddenly missed a massively important influence. God, the, the doc's just throwing a grenade. I love it when you do this, Doc. Brilliant. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not telling any, I'm not telling anyone not to like the Beatles. I'm not telling anyone not to love any band with their heart. But I mean, um, just please keep some perspective. They were a really, really popular band. Yes. Um, but there were there were only a nose ahead of the Rolling Stones. They were only a head and shoulders in front of the Who and the Kinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, for me, if if I had to choose one of those four, I'd, I'd go for the Who every time, Doc. Sure. Um, and I mean, there's there's an interesting BBC Two documentary actually on um, the birth of progressive rock. So. Uh, full disclosure, or let's make everything clear, this is about the beginning of progressive rock only, not about popular culture in the 1960s, and not about John Lennon's solo career, and not about Wings or any or, 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 or any of that stuff. It's about the birth of progressive rock. And uh, Whispering Bill Harris, the chap who presents the old grey whistle test, said, um, yes, okay, it was Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band um, that, start, that, that basically invented progressive rock, but if that album hadn't come out, already in the can and due for release within the next two weeks, there was White A Shade of Pale by Procol Harum. Piper at the Gates of Dawn by Pink Floyd. Coincidentally, um, a day in the life by the Moody Blues, which is the album with Knights in White Saturn on it. In my opinion, cultural changes are things that exist and that the, the things that happen in culture at large. Um, this guy, who is probably the most authoritative speaker on the subject living today, because um, a lot of those people are dead now, um, went on record and said that, okay, that album happened to be the one that was out first. Um, there were another three albums, another three bands that basically would have done that exact same thing, even if that album hadn't come out. Yeah, yeah, but but at the same time, weren't weren't a bunch of albums scrapped following the release of Sgt. Pepper's because it was just like, oh, we're we're fucked, you know, we were we're done basically. That that's it. it. Everything's changed. Yeah, um, that happened too, um, <clears throat> and 
the, there are apparently something like 30 albums in the vaults at Abbey Road and the curators at Abbey Road are, are sitting on the tapes because um, those recordings have never actually been paid for. Um, they're not going to de- they're not going to destroy them because sooner or later somebody might come up with the money to pay for them, um, and nobody likes a lawsuit. Um, but they're hanging on to that stuff because they haven't been paid for because those people finished their I presume they finished their bog standard R and B or um, let's play catch up with um, Revolver albums. Then Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band came out, and yet just like you just said. Um, they were literally like, you know, we're fucked. We're, we 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 blew it. We're 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 yes, you know, we yesterday's papers now. No one is going to be in, you know. Um, we might sell a few thousand copies of this to our diehard fans, but we're certainly not going to recoup enough money to pay this extortionate fee to Abbey Road to get the tapes back. Sure, sure. Should we press on, Doc? Let's see what yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously, that's the chorus. Forced, forced to fight behind the crooked cross. Um, again, Doc, I don't like it. It's, it's to me. This, it's just, it's so insipid. It's weak. I don't like the lead, like melody. Um, it, 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 it just, it, to me, it just, with the exception of Dave, who, who, who is absolutely playing his balls off, um, the whole thing just feels half baked to me. You've done this in some of your projects. I've done this in some of mine. Um, maybe you can help me. Why do musicians or why do people in bands do this? Why do they start writing a song, practice it, and then realise in, uh, uh, in, in their heart of hearts that it's duff and can't be saved? Why do they not slit it? Because everyone does it. Everyone's done it. Of course. Um, why, what, what is the sentimental attachment to this three-legged dog with a leaky scrotum yeah, yeah. Um, that really needs to be put to sleep because mm. the mean, poor thing is just suffering it could be you know I'm, i'll give you a little a, a little bit of insight here this is jeff hanneman's least favorite slayer track and it was written by jeff hanneman in its entirety so he wrote the music and the lyrics and he famously fucking hates this song um right. And <clears throat> it could, could this be, in, in answer to your question, you sorry, Doc, in answer to your question, could it be, um, so Jeff wrote it, maybe the other guys liked it. He, in his heart of hearts, he knew it wasn't up to his usual standards, which, in my opinion, it clearly is not. Um, but because, the, the, you know, the, the other guys were going with it, you know, he just kind of, shrugs his shoulders and goes, well, what, you know, what the hell? I'm, I'm one of four, you know what I mean? Democracy rules. Um, I, I think that could be part of it. I, you know, I've certainly been in, 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 a, in, in bands where I don't particularly like a track. I've expressed that opinion, but the other two or three guys have said, actually, no, we think that's a really good song. Guess what? We, we play that song because it's democracy, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I think unless you're a rampaging egomaniac, um, you have to consider that maybe just this once, 
somebody else has seen something in a thing that you haven't, I mean, and, and this is, we, we, we talk about this all the time. Um, what if it's me? What yeah. if I'm wrong in hating it? And what if, um, you know, there's three of them saying they like it. And there's only one of me saying, I don't like it. Maybe it's me. It could be me. Yeah. Um, but then, but then secretly, actually, everyone thinks the exact same thing. Well, well interestingly, they, they, they played this track during the, 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 the initial tour after the album came out and they never, ever played it again. Hmm. So, you know, I, I, I I, th- you know, I, I think they, I think they smelt a turkey, you pr- pretty quickly. Even, even if they didn't realise it immediately, I think they smelt smelt a turkey pretty soon after the album dropped. Yeah, and here's another interesting thing. Um, I can't think of many examples of a band doing proper engineering um, on a song, which is to say, um, after they've built a thing and tested it, and it's broken during testing, and they've decided to shelve it. Um, going through the components and salvaging what they can, because I'm going to suggest to you, and obviously we'll come to this in the future, I think Expendable Youth is this track done right. Um, I think it's a a substantive redesign and a a substantive makeover, Um, but it's the same core components. Um, And if it's okay with you, I would like to recall this episode when we get round to Expendable Youth. Yeah. Of course, yeah, we'll try to remember. And we'll, we'll be getting there in about nine or ten weeks, I think, Doc. If, if my That's right. Yeah, sure. Uh, Shall we press on, see what happens next? we've just got like the verse chorus repetition there i tell you my other big problem with the verse it's so bloody happy it's just too upbeat um dave oh sorry doc dave's selection of beat here you know i love dave i worship the the ground that he he treads on but 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 here i just think his beat selection is is incorrect it makes it, it it makes it almost like it makes it almost jolly like you could have a little jig to it it, it's shit, Doc, it's shit. Um, I think that's what I identified as the influence from, like, good old, good times, 50s rock and roll. Yeah, you really um, people driving. Uh, yeah, um, switch the distortion off. Um, have Tom, um, knock the vocals down a notch or two. But, you know, it's got that... If it was like Mother and the Vandellas or something, um, then, you know, that would be, it, it would probably be a great girl group song. Um, but you're, you're right, it's the, every part of the music is far too much rooted in. Um, Good times and wide roads and muscle cars and and, and all of that stuff. Um, and obviously, we're going to get onto the lyrics, but I think 
you know, in terms of the like the the the, the theme of the or, or what I perceive to be the theme of the song anyway, I just think it's it's just all out of kilter. It's just off whack. Um, I think you're closer. I think you're incredibly close to being so unbelievably spot on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's out, it's out of whack. It's not completely misplaced. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same way as um, when you get the timing belt, when you change the timing belt on an engine and you don't get it in quite the right position. Mm-hmm. Um, and the engine superficially sounds like it's working, but you're aware of the fact that it's misfiring. And it, it, it is, it, there's, it's, the components of it are out of whack by a very, very small amount. Um, when my we get brain, around to... My brain was, was, was off kilter there, wasn't it? Because I just did a magnificent spoonerism, didn't I? I said out of kilter and off whack, didn't I? Not off um, kilter and out of whack. How about that, Doc? I thought you were being postmodern. Um, oh, I, no, no, that was just a, I thought, a massive brain um, fart. Um, damn, if you hadn't have mentioned that, you could easily have convinced me that you were being incredibly postmodern by actually spoonerizing the two <laughs> expressions. Um, I'll tell you what, it, it, cut, by I'll effectively... Cut I'll cut this out in the edit so people think I'm a genius. Yeah, um, but <laughs> I thought you had taken two expressions that mean desynchronized mm. or out of time, and I thought you'd desynchronized them. How about that? How about that? I, only through my subconscious did that occur, Doc. Only through my subconscious. Um, good Good Lord. All right, let's get on with this. I kind of want the music over and done with now to get into the lyrics. Let's go. They've gone up a notch, you know, and, and suddenly they sound like Slayer again. You know, they're just riffing along, and then and then just some just some awesome, awesomely timed Dave stops. That's more like it, Doc. Jesus Christ! Yeah. Uh, those stops are in, the, the, those stops uh, for a band that know how to do a stop. Mm. They know how to do a stop. Slayer <laughs> do. I don't know if you've noticed this, but that the, they've. They're not bad at it. Um, and, those, and those are some of the best ones I've ever heard from them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely great. Should we close the track out, Doc? We've got about 50 seconds to go. Yeah. I'm, I'm so cross, I couldn't even, even be bothered to play the solo game. Track four from South of Heaven, which is of course called Bumtish Bumtish 
bumptish. Let's all have a fucking dance. Um, no, it's not, of course. It's called Behind the Crooked Cross. Um, Doc, I really, really did not enjoy that. Um, so I think this is your kind of iteration of um, The Silent Scream, isn't it? And I disliked it a lot. I disliked it a lot less than you. God, if that isn't damning it with faint praise. I disliked it less than you disliked it. That's right, yes. Yeah, I didn't think it was quite as shit as you did. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the worst I can say about it is it's album filler, and every band has that. Of course, of course, yeah. Um, it doesn't offend me. Um, but no, it's not ever going to be in my top one hundred Slayer tracks. <laughs> one hundred out of one hundred eighteen. How about that? So that's pretty. That's a lowly ranking there, Doc. <laughs> Um, and that's damning with faint praise. So, um, have we gone into, in enough excruciating detail, what it is about the music that doesn't really do it for us? I think so. I mean, you know, I've, I've mentioned, you know, the the, the, the poorly, poorly chosen drum beat. It all just sounds too happy, happy. Um, yes, the, you know, the, 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 the lead melody in the chorus that just sounds half arsed. Now, the, 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 and you know the, the the one saving grace the the solo section with the, with the great stops. That's it for me. The stops are great. Yeah, are we done now? Um, let's talk about some lyrics because I'm not going to try and change your mind, but I'm going to try and make a bit of a redemptive reading, whilst at the same time explaining what I think the mistake they made was. <laughs> Welcome to part three of the show. Um, here we're going to, as the doctors mentioned, we're going to go through the lyrics and try to see what on earth is going on. And I don't think this is going to take too long, Doc, because there aren't many lyrics to deal with. Um, let's do verse one. Time melts away in this living inferno, trapped by a cause that I once understood, feeling a sickness building inside of me. Who will I really have to answer to? There's your first verse, Doc. What, what are we thinking? Um, I'm going to relate this back to behind the um, this track, Behind the Crooked Cross, and I'm going to relate it back to, because it was only a few weeks ago, um, all the way back to um, The Silent Scream. Uh, you and I disagreed pretty much every single thing it was possible to disagree with in that song. Um, I haven't changed my mind, but I've tried to think about what it was that you said. And if I've got it right, um, in that track, Slayer were taking a um, completely cold blood. They were performing in character. Um yes effectively as the voice of a religious pamphlet or the voice of a religious leader. Um, and they were, th th they were wholeheartedly embracing the moral ambiguity um, that might come along with, there's a distinct possibility that um, it might be taken, as I did, uh, that, that those were Slayer's own opinions that they were espousing. Mm -hmm. um, am I close to what you were saying in that review you're spot on doc yeah basically i think tom was speaking on behalf of the character of like a religious zealot anti-abortion yeah. crackpot basically 
Now, the piece of moral cowardice in the lyrics of the song, and if they hadn't gone, if they hadn't done this, they would have had a much better track. The choice of music would have made sense, um, and it would have been thematically appropriate for the last song we're talking about. Here is what they should have done. They should have written the song and they should have performed in character as a doctrinaire Nazi. Go on, go on, Duff. Explain, explain what you mean by that for, for the listeners. Right, so um, the words of the song, um, it's someone having doubts, mm-hmm. trapped by a cause that I once understood, mm-hmm. feeling the sickness building. It's someone who's, oh, you know, I'm not sure this, um, this whole area of national socialism thing is, 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 is a completely good idea, you know. Yeah, so, so um, you're, you're, you're absolutely that, that this this song is about um, like like a, a, a doubt-filled Nazi soldier. Yeah, yeah, um, and that and that's a concession. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you'll find many differing opinions on whether many Nazi soldiers hmm, maybe felt a twinge of doubt or uncertainty about the correctness of their cause. Mm-hmm. What they should have done. And how the song would have been so much better is if they'd written it in character as a completely committed doctrinaire Nazi. Um, One of the lads, um, one of the beautiful blonde 18-year-old boys, um, off to war to kill some filthy foreigners in the company of a thousand other young lads just like him, absolutely convinced that he's doing the right thing for the right reasons. And then everything else makes sense then the good times music makes sense. The happy, happy drum beat makes sense. Morally ambiguous as fuck. Um, But Slayer have already set out their stall on track two that they're not frightened of moral ambiguity. Yes. I I mean, I I like your take on it, Doc. I can can almost hear the irritation in your voice, you know, at the the stance they're taking here, where you're suggesting that... the, the. They've been a bit weak here, and they've kind of pussyfooted around the subject where they they should have just had had the balls to go with it in its entirety. Um, well, you can either, if you're going to deal with Nazism, um, you can do it in a completely cold-blooded documentarian sense, the way they do later on in two one three. You can do it in a way, and I said this when we reviewed Angel of Death. Um, you take advantage of the medium. Um, polite documentaries that get shown on BBC Two or, that, or, or like Steven Spielberg films, um, they can't even get close to the true horror of what that stuff was all about. Only exploitation media, only the trash that we're into can actually get in your face with the full horror. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another way to deal with, for instance, Nazis or serial mm-hmm. killers. Mm-hmm. Um, another way to do it, and the it could even have evolved into a concept for this album. Um, I'm not saying this is a concept album about sympathetic portrayals of morally abhorrent characters, mm. um, but they've already. The reason I think they're showing weaknesses, they've already done it once. Mm. They've already taken a very. They've already written in character and approached a difficult subject um, from a a very other moral standpoint so why not do something similar here um but, but, but i'm a bit confused because th- th- they are speaking in character here aren't they you know because they're using the first person you know trapped by a cause that i once would understood you know building inside of me um so you know this is clearly the voice of the soldier of the nazi soldier 
Um, they're, write, they're writing in character, but it's a character who they've written to agree with them. Okay. And to, and to sympathise with, with, with most of the listeners. In The Silent Scream, they wrote in character as a character who held absolutely repellent views. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In this song, they've, they're, they're writing in character, and the character they've written is, um, he's actually the kind of lovable, not too bright lad who, when all the fighting's over, you can probably give him a hug, um, and he'll probably go and get a job in a factory and live a fairly harmless life. Mm. Assuming he survives, and, and there is an element of kind of um, appearing to curry sympathy, isn't it? The use of that word "trapped," you know, if somebody yes. is trapped in, in in a desperate situation. I think we naturally feel we naturally feel sympathy for that person because we, you know, we empathise and we put ourselves in their position. So you know, I, I do agree with the the, the use of that verb um, uh, does seem to. Uh, there seem to be an attempt to lend like a sympathetic air to the situation. Yeah, I, I mean, um, let's try and write uh, very, very quickly. Um, let's try and write an alternative version um, of the second half of the second verse. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of do only what is expected of me, um, I'm going to say um, do what I learned to love. With no, emotion, with, with no emotions, my feelings suppressed, full of excitement and adrenaline, love in every minute. Mm-hmm. Blind obedience carries me through it all. Conscience, I, conscience a word I learn to forget. What do I need a conscience for? I'm doing the right thing here. Mm-hmm. Doc, you, you, you've absolutely smashed the format by, by jumping ahead to, 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 that, to that next verse, but, but I'm loving it. I'm, 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 digging, I'm digging what you're saying. Um, I think, though, that, that if, if they had done what you're suggesting, you know, then it becomes a totally different song. I don't think that's the story that they that they were interested in telling. I think they did want, I, th- I think Hanneman did want to portray, you know, the, I, I think he, wa- I think the idea of the song is, you know, to, to tell the tale of the everyman, you know, who, you know, who, who is forced and compelled to do terrible things because if he doesn't, well, either, either he's going to die, or you know, people around him that he that he loves and cherishes are going to be punished for his disobedience. Sure, but then they should have written a song that sounds as evil and nasty as "Raining Blood." They yeah, shouldn't sure. have. They, they, they shouldn't have written a song that sounds like it should have all American teenagers or. Yeah, blonde, blonde Aryan youths and their and and and, and their Brunhildes. Um, oh. <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I totally agree with you, Doc. I mean, you, know, the, 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 you know the disparity between the subject matter and and the musical tone is is is, is genuinely mystifying. I, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking there. So I mean, what what I'm trying to do here is 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 more in is more in the way of how it could be re- like a, not not a redemptive reading because I'm, I'm not particularly inclined to like redeem the song i don't even like it very much yeah. um and like i said a little while ago there are other slayer even have other songs later on that do the same thing but much better mm-hmm. um and um put the um use the words and the music to present the cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. the emotional dislocation yeah. um in a much more coherent way. Um, I just think the choice of the music and 
the choice of the words is such an egregious misstep. Mm. Um, I do think the words are pussyfooting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Specifically on the, on the words in this first verse, Doc, this third line, feeling a sickness building inside of me. What I mean, what, what sickness are they ta- is he talking about there? Is it like depression, revulsion for, for, for you know, for, for the heinous acts that, that he's being forced to, to commit? What's the sickness, Doc? What's your impression there? Um, there's a whole bunch of things it could be. Um, so, I mean, nausea can come from um, obviously witnessing terrible things. Yeah. Um, it can come from a very, very bad smell. Um, mm. For instance, as you might find on a battlefield. Mm. Uh, it can come from hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, it can come from feeling personally afraid. Um, it can come as a result of um, amphetamine come down as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That's a good um, one. I think it's relatively well documented that, um, I mean, the, the, the Nazis and the Soviets are the ones that we know about. I imagine if the Nazis and the Soviets were doing it, everybody else was doing it as well, mm-hmm. um, was um, stuffing their frontline troops full of speed. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how, else do they, how else do they continue to function, you know, faced with the horrors that they were faced with, basically, without, without being pumped full of stimulants? Well, and I mean, how how do you stay on your feet? Um, yeah. How do you um, how do you march from um, Normandy to Berlin basically without stopping? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you do that sure. without uh, with, with without a little chemical help? This last line here: Who will I really have to answer to? Now, is this like a little nod to um, you know to to something more supernatural? Do we think you know is it, it, you know is this is this a, a reference to you know, some kind of deity or other? What do we think? Um, once again, this, this is actually a nicely ambiguous, just, just like the previous one, it, it's it's a nicely ambiguous line. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know when in World War II this track is supposed to be set. Mm. Um, there is the distinct possibility that the shadow of defeat and the as yet nameless Nuremberg tribunals um, are looming up on the horizon. Um, Nazis claimed to be Christians. Um, they claimed to be the only Christians. Um, so I presume they believed in God. Um, and I mean, I, I assume that doctrine and Nazi thought was that you would receive a reward from God um, for... Uh, this soldier is having doubts, isn't he? So, so he's questioning, you know, would it really be God that I'm answering to or would it be... You know, Satan himself, basically. I imagine. Yeah, and I mean, this is this is also very interesting. Um, do Slayer have any tracks about um, occult Nazism? I mean, specifically occult Nazism. I mean, I, I would need to leave, to read the lyrics directly, but we there may be one coming up in about two tracks time, Doc. But I'm not 100% certain without going to the lyrics. I'm not either. I, I mean, considering it's such a go-to horror subject, yeah. I would be more surprised than not if Slayer did not have at least one song about Nazi Satanists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mind you, I don't think Slayer have a song about um, Nazi lesbians either, no. or lesbian Satanists. No, no, um, no. But, 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 you know, the, 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 as, you, as you've commented before, they are, you know, in general, they are rather asexual, aren't they? Yes, they are. 
Um, I don't really get any of that stuff very often. It's just sort of interesting um, out of um, all of the delightful horror staples that uh, particularly Kerry King can't help gravitating towards, bless him. Um, I would be greatly shocked if there wasn't something about um, the SS searching for the Spear of Destiny or something like that. Should um, we move on to the chorus, Doc? Yes. March on through the rivers of red, souls drift, they fill the air, forced to fight behind the crooked cross. March on through the rivers of red. Now, I mean, the, the rivers of red now, I mean, obviously that's, you know, kind of a graphic allusion to copious amounts of blood spilt on the battlefield. But again, you know, I mean, the river, could, could it be the river sticks that they're making, that he's making a vague allusion to here? I assumed it was the defenders of Stalingrad. Okay, go on. Can you explain that for us? Um, well, the um, the Soviet Red Army, which greatly outnumbered the um, the Nazi invasion force. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, during the, I never made that connection. You know, you, 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 look, yeah, like the like, like the Red of Communism, basically referring yes. to Russia. I never actually made that connection in, in my mind. Or maybe that's me being foolish. Um, yeah, I mean, for, for me, the two the two options were, you know, the blood on the battlefield, or 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 something, you know, more kind of demonic. But but, but that's a that's a great observation. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's um, maybe I'm uh, I'm just being a little too prosaic here. Um, I don't think even the most incompetent officer um, would force their men to march through the rivers. Mm. Um, I mean, um, you know. Crossing the rivers of red, uh, look down into the rivers of red, fording the rivers of red. The 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 the, the blood illusion um, would make sense. Um, crossing the river sticks. I'm going to say, I'm going to say no in this context because you cross the river sticks when your labour and suffering is done. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens after you cross the river sticks um, is Chiron the ferryman. Yes. will most likely escort you to um, the fields of forgetfulness. Well, it depends how um, much you pay him, doesn't it, I think? Um, I think you have to pay him to cross. Mm-hmm. I think you have to pay him what you can afford to cross. And then, um, like, for most people, most people will just go into the fields of forgetfulness and basically mm-hmm. wander in a stone haze for the, uh, for the rest of forever. As you have um, been doing for the past couple of weeks, Doc, for your shame. Yeah. And um, honestly... Um, it was a living skeleton in a cloak in a boat um, <laughs> that, 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 that took me there. Um, it was a fantastic experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I, I think it's only people who've done deeds of renown, either good or bad, who are summoned before Hades for judgment. Mm. But the, 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 the reason I think that you know that, that there is something supernatural possibly going on here is this second line as well: souls drift, they fill the air. You know, again, this is. Look, to me, you could interpret. I mean, obviously, we, we you, you know, this could just be like the ambience in the air, the horror of the battlefield. You, you can kind of feel the, you know, that you feel the death in the air, and that could be the souls. But equally, I think you could. I, I can read it as, you know, these are the slain soldiers. The souls of these slain soldiers adrift, 
just awaiting basically the the next battle in the eternal war. Yeah, um, I think you could definitely. I, I would absolutely agree with you. That you could make that point. Um, once again, if if we go back to some of those comic covers that that we, we, we're sure were very um, inspirational, very influential on Slayer, um, I think I've seen at least one where you have sort of the the sky covered by the fog of war, um, you know, a mixture of poison gas and um, gun smoke, um, and the. Um, the, the, the clouds of smoke have been distorted into the images of, of, of distorted screaming faces. Sure. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I can picture that perfectly in my mind's eye, Doc. I've definitely seen that kind of stuff in the past. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, this is just an allusion to, you know, back to the Slayer cosmology, basically, and, and talking yeah. with, with the subject matter, really. But if we read, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, for the record, I think you're right. But something here I can't avoid mentioning. Let's read the next three lines, um, one after the not not in unison, not at the same time, one after the other. Souls drift; they fill the air, forced to fight behind the crook. Now the dead souls aren't being made, forced to fight behind the crooked cross. No, for better no, or for worse. The, no, the, that's, the, that's the soldier. Isn't it? That's, that's the soldier who's the effective narrator of this story. Right. Um, oh, so um, there's a full stop here and there's a clear break between. Exactly. I mean, that, that's my interpretation. Gotcha. That's, you know, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm right, Doc. It's just the way that's I'm That's all right. Yeah. Why do you suppose it says to fight behind the Crooked Cross? Wouldn't they fight before the Crooked Cross? Yeah, well, I mean, I, 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 just, I, I just think that... Uh, I, I do take your point, Um I just think I just think it scans more nicely. It just feels it sounds nicer. I think it's as simple as that. You know, it just sounds better. Sure. Um, um, I mean, I know on ceremonial parade, um, Nazi armies had a like um, a Roman standard bearer um, carrying the swastika, uh, carrying a, a, a tall swastika standard who who walked at the front of the regiment. In which case, people were behind the crooked cross. I don't actually think they carried that thing into battle. I think this expression derives from somewhere behind the crooked cross, and the reason I think that, Doc, is because Sabat, the 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 awesome um, British thrash band, have also got a song called "Behind the Crooked Cross," which came out at approximately the same time as this album did. Generally, um, I've heard it used in relation to World War II. Yeah. Um, I've heard it used a lot. Um, and it generally refers to the leaders who spend the lives of their own people whilst never putting their own in danger. Um, there's a Chinese film about um, the occupying Japanese and specifically about the behaviour of their officers, and that's called The Men Behind the Sun. Oh, yeah. um, there's a Finnish film um, about the, the Winter War and the Continuation War. Um, and it's about the motivation of the Soviets, and that's called the men behind the steel. Sure, and of course here, behind the crooked cross, the crooked cross clearly being uh, a reference to the swastika. It's, I mean, it's, yes. awesome. it's hard to argue, is it? 
isn't it? Sorry, it's hard to argue. Yeah. So uh, I mean, if it's a nice illusion, and but if you to say, if if you were to say to me, there's a song called "Behind the Crooked Cross." Who is that about? I would immediately say Hitler, Himmler, um, the other senior generals, mm-hmm. um, Eichmann. Yeah, mm-hmm. those are the men behind the crooked cross. But 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 I suppose but the, the, the logic still works though, Doc, because those high-ranking officials that you've just mentioned are the very people that are forcing our narrator to fight. So to to me, the logic, you know, I, th- I think we're being a bit pedantic, you know, if if we kind of pull that one apart. Um, pedantic, me never. <laughs> exactly, as if we, we would ever be pedantic when when when, when we can pull twenty five hours out of a twenty eight minute album called Rain in Blood. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I still um, can't quite believe we did that. <laughs> um, let's do the last verse, Doc. Do only what is expected of me, with no emotions, my feelings suppressed. Blind obedience carries me through it all, conscious a word I learned to forget. Now this, obviously you've touched on this briefly already, but this this seems to really irritate you, this bit. Um, it irritates me because it started irritating me when I, try, when I started trying to resolve the happy, happy, good times music mm-hmm. with the apparently grim lyrics. Um, and just to reiterate the point, you could have done, you could have done these, they're not bad lyrics, you could have done these lyrics if the song had sounded evil and doom yeah. and nasty. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have words about Nazis together with happy, happy, joy, joy music, the only way that you can make that fit um, is to rewrite the song from the point of view of, of someone who is really into what it is that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Let, let me throw let me throw something at you, Doc. Um, you and I are, are, are great lovers of uh, George A. Romero movies. Certainly, certainly the first three. Um, yeah. And when I say the first three, the first three zombie movies, of course. I'm not forgetting Martin, which is sensational as well. Um, now, particularly Dawn of the Dead, I would say uses kind of a similar technique to what's happening here, where. You know, the subject matter is desperately, desperately grim. The theme is desperately grim. But the music, the incidental music, is, by and large, very, very jolly and happy. And it's kind of a curious juxtaposition, which, which makes it tonally bizarre. I mean, it, 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 is it possible they, they were kind of going for something similar here? It's possible. Mm. Um, it's possible. So point number one, I'm, I'm not convinced either way whether it works you're talking about um when the zombies break into the shopping mall and there's the which yeah. i think um, i could be wrong about this stuff but i think that piece of music is called the gonk <laughs> i might be making that up i hope you're right
that piece of music drove a wedge between George Romero and Dario Argento for years. Um, and I'm pretty sure I've got this right. George Romero relented in the end and said that Dario Argento was right. Because uh, in the international version, um, that scene has got the Goblin soundtrack on it. Oh, yes. OK, yes. And that's much more kind of creepy, synthy stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so George Romero, the old hippie, God bless him, um, was desperate to... Um, apparently the rest of the film hadn't gone nearly far enough for him um, in making a link between the living dead and mindless consumerism. Yeah, but apparently the rest of the film um, hadn't made that point enough to satisfy him. Mm. Um, so he had to introduce a further juxtaposition. I agree with his final conclusion, which is that um, it completely undercuts the menace of the zombies, um, and it's actually impossible to be scared of. It's it's impossible to be scared of zombies after that scene. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and you know, and uh, I mean, it, it, I, I know that at the time you can't make a you can't make a movie thinking of the future, but I, you know, I would imagine it is desperately difficult for you know, like a modern a modern day cinephile to watch that scene and in any way take it seriously. I, I imagine it's desperately problematic. Yeah, I mean, it, it was thematically appropriate for what Romero wanted to do, because in the next film, in Day of the Dead, the zombies aren't a threat, um, or the zombies aren't a threat to the surviving humans nearly as much as the other surviving humans. Um, the zombies are a threat out there, and it might be outer space, it might as well be outer space or the ocean or a desert island. Um, the, the zombies are just a threatening environment, and the, the, they don't even do anything until the last five minutes. The problem, if you're trying to use that analogy, is that I don't think anyone will buy into the idea that Nazis aren't a real threat. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, the, the, this first line, do only what is expected of me. I mean, that's a corruption of, you know, the, the oft um, quoted line, you know, I was only following orders, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so that was obviously um, Eichmann's defence um, when he was put on trial in Israel. Yeah. Oh, really? In Israel, not, not Nuremberg? Um, no, uh, he escaped the Nuremberg tribunals and in the end, the Israeli Secret Service illegally kidnapped him from Brazil and put him on trial in, um, in Israel. Right. Okay. Uh -huh. um, the interesting thing about Eichmann um, is that um, he was given to have... The judge roundly accused him of saying that in an attempt to save his own skin. Um, the commentary on that trial, which is Eichmann in Jerusalem by Hannah Arendt, um, comes to the conclusion that, no, that's actually really seriously what the guy thought. Um, the trial found no evidence that he was even much of an anti-Semite. Um, mm -hmm. As far as he was concerned, he'd been given this position of responsibility by his boss, and it was his absolute duty to perform this responsible position um, to the best of his ability and competence. Yeah, blind obedience carries me through. It doesn't have quite the same meaning, but it is from the same school of thought as Dolce et Decorum est pro patria moria, isn't it? We've missed, a, we've missed a little line there, and that third line kind of under... It's a curious kind of undercutting of the line before. You've got the, the second line here, with no emotions, my feelings suppressed. Now, my question here, Doc, was, you know, with no emotions, my feelings suppressed. Suppressed by what? You know, to go back to your earlier point, maybe suppressed by, by drugs, you know, by copious amounts of amphetamines to, to you know, to, to, to kind of 
increase the physical capacity, but also, you, you, you know, anybody who's ever taken amphetamines will know, you know, you, you don't really feel much of anything at all, you know, be that pain or emotions at all, or is it being suppressed by, by the propaganda that's being pumped out from the, you know, from the Nazi organ effectively. But then the third line seems to undercut all of that when, when, when the narrator himself says, blind obedience carries me through it all. So, he, you know, that, that's almost like a tacit acknowledgement that it isn't the propaganda, it isn't the drugs, whatever it happens to be. It's just his blind devotion to the cause. Um, yeah, and if you've ever seen, let's say, or if you've ever undergone military training yourself, um, or if you've ever, uh, for instance, had to house train a dog, um, then you know how the principle of punish, oblique stroke, reward works. Yeah, yes, yes. I mean, you've seen, you've seen me, Doc. You, you know, for, you know for damn sure I've had no military training, but I have trained a dog. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, and <clears throat> I think that's quite a neat three-line expression um, of. Um, how that constantly applied doctrine of stress plus punishment plus reward mm-hmm. um, works. That form of training has been in use um, at least since the Spartan um, city-state yeah. existed. It was carried on through the Roman Empire. It was carried on through, it, it was reinvigorated in Cromwell's New Model Army, and it's been used in every professional military since. It's an extremely effective way of, of, of training um, aggressive young men to kill. Yes, as, you know, as somebody who's taught secondary school level in, in provincial schools, let me tell you, brother, it's, it's still in existence today in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> um, Last line here, conscience, a, le- a, a word I learned to forget. What, what's your take on that one, Doc? I think that's an interesting kind of last line, effectively. Even though it's not like the last line in the song, everything else after that is a repetition. So it's the last original thought of our narrator. It's a reinforcement of the previous two lines. Mm. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a counterpoint and a support to blind obedience, carries me through it all, conscience, so a, a word I learned to forget. Isn't conscience merely another a, a, another form of obedience though mm-hmm. i mean um man in the state of nature or predators display no conscience do they no that's true yes yeah i don't imagine a, you know a crocodile you know weeps after it's taken out a you know a gazelle drinking at a at a, at a, at a, at a drinking spot correct so i mean are, are we being invited to think um you know Conscience, conscience, a word I learned to forget. Conscience, a concept I unlearned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, the way that I read that is the, the narrator still has a conscience, still feels, you know, still feels something, but, but, but you know, whether it's through fear for himself, fear for his family, you know, just, just quells it, quells it and pushes it down to the extent that it, it might as well not exist. So, I mean, the, the, the doctrinal training to help you deal with this irritating thing called conscience um, is, you know, do you think your enemy has a conscience? Yeah. Um, do you think your enemy's conscience will stop him from killing you if he gets the chance? No, your enemy's conscience will not stop him from killing you. Sure. Um, and um, you know, what, what, one of my favourite iterations of this um, if you do not kill, you will become dead, and then you will be in a world of shit because you are not allowed to die without permission. 
<laughs> is that um, what's that? that? That sounds familiar. That sounds like something from Full Metal Jacket or something like that. Um, it very well could be. Yeah. Um, I, I I can't I I, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, what there's there's another one very similar, um, and um, it's something along the lines of. Um, you are not permitted to die because you are uh, um, you are now government property and you are not permitted to harm government property. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, I like that. Yes, that's very good. That, that's like data, you know, not being able to, to quit Starfleet because he belongs to Starfleet, basically. Um, yes. Doc, we've got about 10 minutes till our hard out. Any, any, anything else to say on the words here? Or should we move on to our concluding thoughts? Yeah, let's move on to the concluding thoughts. Welcome to part four of the show. Here we're just going to give our final thoughts and summations. And of course, as usual before that, let's give you some details. Um, writing credits here. I think we've already mentioned it, but the music is by Jeff Hanneman and the lyrics also by Jeff Hanneman. So a solo project, this one. Um, according to Setlist, this was played a mere 72 times, putting it in 70th position, tied with piece by piece. Um, first play was Tacoma Dome in Tacoma, Washington State. A few, quite a few of these tracks, that, that's the first outing. So that's obviously the first gig following the, the release of the album, I would imagine. Here's what, here's what Loudwire have to say. Um, this South of Heaven track is fraught with controversy relating to the accurate interpretation of its lyrics. Was its composer, Jeff Hanneman, addressing a loss of faith by those who fought in Christian crusades so long ago? Or was he thinking about something far more recent, i.e. Hitler's Third Reich and their own crooked cross, the swastika? Whatever its true inspiration, behind the crooked cross clearly voices the confusion and disgust of people led astray by false ideals until it's just too late to turn back or to find redemption, let alone forgiveness. Now, I mean, the, the bit that jumps out at me there, Doc, and I'm sure it did to you too, is that reference to the Christian Crusades? I thought that was very interesting. And you know what? That Sabbat, that Sabbat track that I mentioned earlier, that is exactly what that song is about, even though it has the same title. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a it's a slightly cheesy misdirection on Sabbat's part in that case. I mean, the um the 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 emblem of the, the Christian Crusades was the uh, La Croix Pate. Um, the splayed cross. Yes, um, I know exactly what it looks like. It, it, it you know, it, it, it's a cross where the, the end points of each of the crosses is got like curved outwards and much wider than the central point, isn't it? Yeah, it's like um, four arrowhead, um, four Stone Age arrowheads. Yeah, I know exactly what we, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, um, I mean, um, if you're trying to conflate that symbol with the. <clears throat> Um, the crooked cross, uh, das Hagenkreuz, das, das um, is universally understood to be the swastika in Nazi use, sure. and nothing else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so still, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call shenanigans on um, on Sabbat there. Fair enough, but still an interesting observation from Loudwire, nevertheless. Um, go on, the doc. Give us your final thoughts before you uh, pronounce. I think this track is okay. Mm. Um, there's this almost irresistible, almost irresolvable contradiction between the music and the lyrics. No. Um, I've thought very carefully about whether it's supposed to be a juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it is. Um, I just think it's jarring emotional dissonance. Yeah. 
um, even if I did think it was a juxtaposition, juxtaposition, as we said, in the context of George Romero, um, that still wouldn't salvage it for me because I don't happen to think those juxtapositions work particularly well. <clears throat> There's another one I can think of, and you know the bit I mean, in The Last House on the Left. And Wes Craven obviously thinks it's some sort of very bold juxtaposition to constantly mix up the scenes of the comedy cops with the unwatchable sexual abuse of the two girls. Sure, yeah. Yes, absolutely, yes. It's very, very troubling indeed. Um, and of course, Wes Craven got very, very cross with Tarantino famously, didn't he? Because he didn't like the, juxta the juxtaposition of the violence against the, against the policeman in Reservoir Dogs as juxtaposed against that kind of jolly track stuck in the middle with you. So I, I guess your point being, um, even though Wes Craven had done the exact same thing in a far more offensive way, <laughs> yeah, um, and, presu and presumably also because Wes Craven clearly hadn't watched the scene in Reservoir Dogs, um, because um, you know there's a wrong way to do a juxtaposition, and then there's a right way to do a juxtaposition. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, this. The, yeah. This track is just so deeply flawed. Um, I'm not as I'm not as energized or exercised about the lyrics as you are, Doc, because I think it's a per I think it's a perfectly valid point of view to take um, and, and a perfectly valid story to tell. Um, but but the, the you know the the thing that gets under my skin is the music. I think I think it's weak. Um, I think it's quite insipid. And 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 for once, Dave's made me pretty pretty cross actually which which is i think but but there's a first time for everything i suppose um are you ready to pronounce doc i believe this track is what you were referring to when you said we we're going to come up against some mistaken experiments mm -hmm. it gets a loquescent sword from me for being an experiment of any description i happen to think it was a bad idea to try and do something rooted in classic American rock and roll. Um, I happen to think it was a bad idea to either put these lyrics to it with or without juxtaposition. If it was an attempt at juxtaposition, it was a, it's turned into a really, really bad failure as, as a juxtaposition. If it wasn't an attempt at juxtaposition, it, it's really inappropriate lyrics to uh, music to go with lyrics that deserve something much more evil and doom. Having said that, the lyrics aren't actually terrible. I don't think they're terrible. Um, the music is not good, but then it's calling back to a style of music that I really, 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 really don't like. So that's almost like not their fault. And it has got some cracking stops in it. Yeah. Ah. So four, four Lequest Swords out of ten. Crescent Swords. I, I must be honest, I thought you were going to go higher before you got... Admittedly, as you gave your final description there, 
I could see the points tumbling. But before that point, I was expecting a strong six or seven there from you. Um, but the thing is, there's the songs. Um, I've got to try and be consistent. There's songs mm. that I putatively enjoyed more than that that yes. I've given six. That's correct. You are correct. Now, I thought this this track really kind of sucked the big one. Um, I mean, with the exception of the, the solo section with the, with the awesome stops. So for that section alone, I'm going to give it two mouldering most scores out of 10. That is most surely that is my lowest score ever. Um, oh no, the final command I also gave a two to yeah. in the first album, which you, Doc, you gave an almighty zero to. You man. All right, that about does it for this episode. Don't forget, guys, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slatanicvercast at gmail.com. Join us next time when we'll be talking about the fifth track from South of Heaven, which is, of course, Mandatory Suicide. Are you going to be there, Doc? You bet your life I am. I will too, brother. See you then. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>